Okay, good morning. We are continue today with the Shinjin Mei. Uh, let me see where we are. <coughs> okay, so neither pursue conditioned existence nor stay in idle emptiness. Also translated as be seduced neither by the outer world nor by your inner emptiness. Be seduced neither by the outer world nor by your inner emptiness. Uh, without realizing the profound principle, it is futile to practice stillness. Also, if you miss the deep meaning, stilling your thoughts is of no use. It's very relevant to us, right, in terms of Zazen. Stilling your thoughts, if you miss the deep meaning, stilling your thoughts is of no use, which means Zazen can be of no use if we don't know how to practice. And uh, another translation down in Jordan, truth simply is the clouded mind cannot know it. So, commentary. The deep meaning of things is that things have no own being, svabhava. Svabhava means own being. They lack separate existence, right? The working of the internal chatter is driven by unexamined beliefs that things have their own sustaining reality, their own validation. We become invested in things, whether psychological or material, because we believe, at least implicitly, that things and our apprehension of them are real. What we, are, what we rarely understand is that we apprehend only our idea of things rather than things themselves. Right? We apprehend only our idea of things rather than things themselves. In other words, what we see, what we think, what we smell, often has to do with the way we interpret it, not with the way it is. Right? And it's not just a, a statement. It actually uh, pertains to everything in our lives. So everything we encounter, there is what we encounter, and simultaneously and immediately, there are the thoughts, feelings, and what we have assigned to, to that, to the experience. And that's what we interact with. That's what we see. That's what we react to, we should say. Then it's a selfing drives the engine of internal chatter, disturbing the original stillness of the mind and leaving the problems of dukkha still unaddressed. All the training in meditative traditions is geared to somehow stop the noxious internal chatter that prevents mind from illuminating itself. Now, and this is important, right? It prevents the mind from illuminating itself, not from illuminating something external. It's the mind itself, the big mind, the big eye, right? Everything can, is contained within that. So it has the power to illuminate itself. It also has the power to delude itself. Right? So we have, to, we have to see it and understand it as such. Right? So the power is contained within. The power to be deluded and act as such, and the power to have a realization experience and act from wisdom. 
the deep meaning of things is seen through the framework of shunyata. The purpose of shunyata, the purpose of the shunyata dialectic is to break down the fixation we have with the nature of things as self-abiding. This is not a negation of the existence of things in the provisional sense, but only our fixation with them that continue to disturb endlessly the stillness of the mind and do not allow us to enter into silence. Now, this is raising a very important point of knowing how to actualize the fundamental point or the action of emptiness, which has to do with tapping the depth of wisdom during the stillness of zazen and then, and then post-zazen, expressing wisdom in everyday activities and interactions. So it's the unification of stillness and motion, right, which fits very well with the theme of our ango. So unification of stillness and motion without fixating, without fixation on neither, right? As, as it says in, the, in one of the translations is we become intoxicated by this or that. It doesn't matter. Either way, we get trapped. <clears throat> so to illustrate the issue with fixation on concentrated practice, Musong bring, brings up an, the example of ancient yogic traditions. And he says, one of the basic critiques of the yoga tradition by Buddhists in ancient and medieval India was that despite their proficiency in concentration practices, the yoga practitioners did not understand the context of original emptiness. That lack of context or deep meaning of things, quote unquote, allowed <coughs> concentration practices to become yet another form of striving the essential stillness of mind is manifested only when all striving ceases, right? Stop trying. Trying, trying so hard creates, by itself, creates a duality, creates a gap, creates is and is not. The ceasing of all striving itself becomes the context of a deeper understanding of the nature of things. The reader should know that Whenever the language of stillness is used, either in this commentary or in the Zen tradition, caution needs to be taken that the intention is not to create preference for stillness or quietude for its own sake, but to point out that such stillness is in the service of letting go. Letting go is an experience of heart-mind, one word, rather than the grip of intense internal chatter where the contents of the mind tends to get refined. Reified, sorry, tends to get reified. <clears throat> this stillness is not a trance or a yogic concentration, but the equilibrium in which awareness is so purified that it does not make distinctions or preferential, on a preferential basis. So again, I'm going to read the last line. This stillness is not a trance or a yogic concentration, but the equilibrium in which awareness is so purified that it does not make distinctions on preferential basis, right? So it does, in other words, it does not create a duality. So everything is everything at all times, right? So whether we enter zazen and come out of zazen, right? 
These are not two. These are practice. We can say this is a practice. So we practice sitting, stilling the mind. Then this practice continues to motion. But in essence, in essence, one is one throughout. And therefore the striving can be let go of because what are we striving for, right? We are striving to be here. Why do we need to strive to be here? We have to stop doing what we're doing to distract ourselves from being here. In other words, we have to watch the way we run towards our interpretations of reality, right? That's the point we have to work with. So, and we have to, first of all, we have to become aware of the fact that there is reality and there are the interpretations of reality. And that's how we cloud the mind. That's how we cloud reality, by preferring the interpretations over reality, by arguing with reality, as we talked about many times, right? I don't like this, right? We begin this one with let go of likes and dislikes, and there it is. But I don't like to let go of likes and dislikes, right? It, we, we come back to that again and again. Well, but when likes and dislikes are put aside, there it is. Because there it was, there it is, and there it will be. Whether we get it or not, whether we clarify or not, whether we are deluded or realized, still, there it is. Only the clouded mind makes it seem as if it comes and goes. So, what do you think? Yes. So, um, I like to use a, a story for this because I think this story really brings out this point. So, say you're at work, right? And your coworker, we'll, we'll call her Sally, right? And so you've worked with Sally for a long time. You've, you've, you've had a lot of experiences with Sally, right? So one day you go to work and you see Sally walking down the hall. So in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's Sally, right? And that's it, you know Sally. You know who she is, you know what she is. You know what your relationship with Sally is. Right? So you experience her on a level that it's in the past. It's a past level, right? So you're missing anything that's happening with her right now, right? Because you're operating from the, oh, that Sally perspective. So you don't know if she necessarily has had a bad day. You don't know if her child is sick. You don't know all these different things that can be going on with her right now because you're experiencing with her, you're experiencing her as Sally, as that label, right? Or you may even be experiencing her um, from what someone else told you about her, right? So you bring that into your mind, right? So I, I think where all this goes to is that every time you meet Sally, it's the first time you ever met her, right? So I think that that's what this is talking about, right? where all of those past experiences and all the past things, they in, are informing how you relate to her. And if you let those past experiences be the definition of her, then that's all you get, right? And then you're basically pulling it off the shelf. And if you see Sally walking down the hall, just pull the definition off the shelf and then that's how you, you, you experience her or you interact with her. So that's just a very simplistic 
sort of metaphor that has helped me a lot with this concept of, you know, and it's a very difficult concept to actually practice because when you've done something so many times, it's so hard to see it as the first time every time. And I think that that's where this, where this part of the, of the poem is going, right? Is that this notion of if everything is the first time every time, there is nothing to cloud the mind because all there is is what's in front of you and what you're experiencing at that moment. So right, that's, and, that's, and that's unknown, right? So, yeah. right, so getting beyond Sally, right. right? Okay, so now what he's saying here is that this is the Svabhava, right? So the deep meaning of things is that things have no own being, no Svabhava, right? They're like that. But we designate, we assign, and then there is. Yeah. Because we have assigned. Now, that's, that's what we have to get in touch with and realize and recognize that it's not the way I see it. It's not that I'm not seeing it this way. So I am seeing a Sally with a designation and appropriation, right? Absolutely. So that's why he's saying you cannot ignore it, but at the same time, realize, recognize that this is the image that the mind projects on reality. It's no more than an image that the mind projects on reality. Right. So it's not erase the image. Recognize that it's no more than an image. Then you can work with the image. Then you can call her Sally. Right. Otherwise, well, who are you? Every day you come to work, who are you? That won't make sense. Right. right? So there is a Sally, an ongoing Sally, right? Obviously, that has created an impression in your mind. That impression is no more than that. While in reality, what we call Sally is constantly changing and the one who is seeing Sally also is, has changed and is changing. That's not Buddhist idea, it's just the way things are, right? right? When we, I think that also when we designate that as a Buddhist idea, again, we have a problem. This is not a Buddhist idea. Buddhism does not talk about Buddhism. So we have to be clear about that. We have to get rid of the idea of Buddhism apart of, outside of reality. Because that's a trap. That's a trap that non-practitioners can have and practitioners alike. I'm a Buddhist. What does that mean? Nothing, right? It, it, may, it means I'm, I work, I'm working on seeing reality as it is, right? We can say that. Right. But where's the East in that? Right. I was just going to say, when I'm in the classroom, I think I... I've, um, just have to raise the volume a little bit.
being able to clear that and say, look, I'm asking this question again for the first time. And I'm not doing the second arrow thing or the third arrow thing. Why didn't you listen the first time? You know, it's not like that anymore. It used to be in the beginning, I was just like, oh, you know. And I try not to express that in front of the kids, but you know, as time goes on, just sitting in front of them and being able to ask that question, the same question, I'll ask again, it's no problem. You know, just we'll ask again, it's no problem. I didn't even ask this before. Let's ask this again. Even like five or six times in a row. So being able to have that clarity without, you know, getting away getting in the way so that you're not um, clouding their mind as well, so that it becomes like one mind that, that needs to be clear for both of us. Yeah. So, so what you say, it, it gives us the, the possibility, the opportunity to not pile things up, right? So, so no svabhava, right? No own being, understanding, realizing no own being, nothing exists unto itself, is another way to say that, frees us to start again and again and again and again, fresh and new. So we don't pile up what was on what is. <coughs> the way we cloud the mind is piling up what was on what is, and all we see is what was, which is what you were saying. So we constantly see the same things and react in the same patterns. We all know that. We have the same triggers, the same reactivities, because we're reacting to the same thing. Life is changing. We're not. Well, we are, but we think we're not. So, yeah. So, um, so that's a good example. And then I was thinking of another kind of situation in daily life related to what uh, Kojin was saying. So, I don't think it's possible to, um, in daily life at work, not to have an image of Sally and how we expect her <clears throat> to behave or what our relationship is, we can improve it, but there's going to be an image for the purpose of functioning. But then, if Sally suddenly acts in a very unexpected way, then how do we react? We don't want her, we don't let her. No, we don't let her. So, um, right. so that's, that's where our image, if we're free, right. that's where our image would switch and we'd say, ah, now she's like this, what is this? But not, yeah. you can't be like that. Because it's a threat to our image. Yes. A threat to my image is a threat to me. Yes. It's not just to the image. Right. My image is pixelating, oh my God. It's terrifying because my image of reality is pixelating in front of my eyes, right? <laughs> yes. That's what happens. Yes. My image of the other, my image of me, the image of me. Is falling apart right. and we have to go through that and we can train ourselves to go through that on, on a momentary basis right you know it doesn't matter who we talk with what we encounter we can train ourselves to see the images to see the interpretations and see see what's going on and allow what's going on to remain unknown which we always go back to if, if we allow it to remain unknown then we're not slapping our interpretations on it and it is not uh, covered up. It's available, right? So we, we, again and again, it's a matter of training. It's not a matter of I do or I don't. 
It's a matter of on-the-go recognition and training. <coughs> training the mind. Are you clearing your throat to speak? Or? <laughs> uh, it's a constant uh, annoyance. Uh, but I'll, I just, um, um, what Mugen said was, um, was interesting in the, the sense that we almost need to give ourselves a safe space, which is what sort of you're describing, right? That, that when we're dealing with Sally, or God help us, Daigo, um, um, that um, when we're dealing with people, you have to deal with them, right? And you don't have time. You know, you have to quickly make the decision of how I'm gonna. So if you give yourself space, which is I think what you were describing, mm -hmm. and so in, in situations like I'm thinking when we do Dokasan, mm -hmm. you always take the first five minutes or so in that space, right? You know, how are you doing? How's practicing going? And, and you know, sometimes it can sound kind of mechanical, but sometimes it's really kind of establishing that space where now things are open. Mm -hmm. and, you know, anything can happen in that open space. And it's sort of an invitation to, uh, if there is something new, um, you know, that that could come forth in some way, and mm -hmm. uh, that it doesn't have to follow whatever um, so it's very easy when encountering somebody to just pick up something from previous encounters with them and, and kind of keep going with that, um, which sometimes works out very well, but it doesn't create that space where something different uh, can present itself and appear and um, you know, at least appear for a moment. Um, it might not be all that recognized, but at least it, it gives that possibility. So, um, it's like Dewey's inquiry. It's what? It's, it's like that opening Dewey yes. was talking about, letting that be there and letting that sit there, and letting inquiry come out from the people in front of you, and letting that open space be there. Yeah. It's well. It's it's it's. We have to be willing to live on the edge. Okay. For that, right? We have to be willing to live on the edge, because it's that, right? It's it's not non-grasping kind of living because we grasp the images. That's what we hold, that's all we can hold on to. We grasp those images, right? That's where grasping Right, and happens. remind about the edge. I mean, in some ways it's reminding us that, that that's where we are, um, so that, you know, calling us back. And yes, the edge is calling us back. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> the edge of the cliff is calling you. Yes. <laughs> you have to answer that calling. Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. I have a Sally in my classroom. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and, and, uh, um, you know, she had two teachers before me, and by the time she gets to me, there's so much story to Sally. <clears throat> you know, and, uh, and all that story is being shared with me. Uh, you got your hands full with Sally coming mm -hmm. to your class and everything else. And, um, and it puts a little bit of fear in you how you're going to deal with this individual when they get to you and they're going to come into your class and disturb your class and disturb your peace, you know, and disturb all your other students. And you have this image of disturbance and you start already um, getting yourself worked up and upset about it, like, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with Sally coming into my classroom with all of this history? And then you stop. Mm -hmm. And um, you just uh, take a look at Sally when she comes into your classroom and 
and give her an opportunity to show you who she is, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Instead of giving way to what everybody else is saying because, again, everybody else doesn't practice what I practice, mm -hmm. right? And um, yeah, they make their uh, assumptions of what's going on and then later on when you speak to Sally, you find out that her house burnt down, she's a single mom, and she's got all this history of right. her own that she's right. dealing with. Right. And <clears throat> once you accept the fact that um, people are going to come up to you with certain histories and stuff, and you allow them mm -hmm. to open and share, then you take the time to be patient and understand, and you get a totally different Sally. Right. right. You know, you get a Sally that starts to learn to trust and feel that she's being listened to. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Sally starts excelling in the classroom and becomes one of your best students. Right. Right? So, yeah, sometimes it's difficult when you, you know, you trust the people that you work with, you have history with them, and you feel like, oh, you know, what they're saying must be true. But they experience a certain type of Sally because of their own history, because of their own way of managing and dealing with situations, and then you experience a different person. So it's all the same person, yet we're all having different experiences with this one. So, so it allows for unconditional compassion, right? So, so when we don't assign and designate, when we don't hold on to own being, the idea of Swababa, then it allows for natural expression of unconditional compassion. Because the compassion is not based on anything, right? It's not, it's not limited by the designation, by the standards, by what I think. It's not designated by me, we can say, right? I'm, I'm not deciding who should receive this compassion. I'm just a vehicle for compassion to, be, to manifest, right? It's not up to me to decide. So then, then the big eye begins to manifest, right, and, and function. And the small eye doesn't get in the way. So uh, I want to see if anybody on Zoom wants to speak up and... Pixie's raising her hand. Who? Uh, Pixie, you're muted. Pixie. Sorry. Sorry. Good morning. Um, so I just wanted to say that I fully agree that you know, taking everything for what it really is, is a commendable goal, and I like Maya Gans' analogy, but we're human, and we deal with cognitive overload all the time, and there's a phrase we use in my discipline called cognitive misers, like we, we want to manage the information we have to deal with all the time. If I had to look at everything as new all the time, I don't think I could Right. Thank you uh, for that. Right. So the, the small eye is exhausted very quickly. Absolutely. And what, that's exactly what, what we feel, right? I'm exhausted. Or I don't have any more time, patience, or energy for this. For this, for you, for that, for him, for them, right? I don't have, there's plenty of it. I just don't have enough. I run out. That's the transition, right, from the small eye to the big eye. There's plenty of it, whatever it is we need. 
We just have to expand. When we expand, we tap. And then when we tap that, we, it's like the, it's continuous fountain of energy and love and compassion. But it's not mine. That's, that's that uh, jump. It's not mine. It's not my love, it's not my energy, it's not my compassion. Then, yeah, of course, there's plenty of it. I run out. I am tired. I don't have energy for this. So it's natural. What you're saying is very natural. And that's where the, the, the leap, the jump, right? That's where practice is radical. What practice is talking about is radical. Because it goes against the grain. So I agree or I disagree is the grain, right? So when we read texts like that, it's not that we have to read it and, well, do I agree? Do I disagree? Does it work? Does it? That's, that's staying within that same realm, right? Texts like that is meant to break us free from that which says I agree or I disagree. So it's, it's a jump. Now, this is actually a very good point. I know you, I, I'm going to give you... A, the microphone. Uh, this is where I think uh, we need to look at what practice means and how to practice. Because in order to make that jump, we have to be so, so, so diligent about our practice. Part-time practice doesn't break free, doesn't help us break free. It doesn't. Wholehearted practice is the only way to practice. Now, we're not saying wholeheartedly be there every time. But what we're saying is from the moment you wake up in the morning until the moment you go, the moment you go to sleep, practice should be, as one ancient said, put on the tip of your nose so you never lose sight of it. Whatever you do, wherever you are, you constantly engage with the practice. Constantly. Not in and out. Not I put it aside, I'll get back to it. All the time, practice. Then... Naturally, something dissolves, something softens in us. It happens over time, but it takes time. It takes a very long time, and it takes a great deal of energy in a relaxed way. Right? We have to remember, we have to take it easy, but continue to practice. It's not being uptight about it. It's being continuous about it. Right? Those two are not the same. They don't have to be the same. Thank you. Great. Yeah, I was thinking about the conversations about the hypothetical Sally and the real Sally. Um, Is there? And, uh, well, there was a real Sally part. Um, <laughs> but how... I, I think, you know, the, the, what Pizzi is raising is like, how do you actually kind of do this practice. And I, I, I agree that continuous is the way to do it. However, I see there is, there is a, at least this is what kind of I, I tend to do is that, like, like let's say you have this Sally conversation and it's like, hello, and you know, how are you doing? All good, okay. And everything goes according to the Sally you know. So, okay, fine. So one day Sally doesn't say hello. And that's, not normal. So you start kind of racing in your head. What's going on with Sally? I'm not good enough. What is the problem? You know, and, and that is that is the trigger that we need to recognize. 
Because it doesn't matter, I mean, if for some reason you know, the, the wall is a wall and the door that we're opening is a door that we're opening and nothing is different, we don't need to practice. I mean, we are not really focusing on that practice that much. But the moment that these things are annoying us or they're creating some steer, that's, that's the trigger. That's the moment that you can say, why do you don't understand this? And then we need to clear. And that's the, the kind of uh, signal for us to open. You know, and, uh, and whenever we feel that <laughs> grasp is where the training has to do in like, okay, right. so I'm losing the balance and recognizing that I'm losing the balance. How do I come back? How do I see this opening? How do I open this up? It's not about, you know, not seeing Sally as Sally and kind of trying to see if everything empty because that is, that is like too much to do. Uh, but, uh, but it's about like, okay, so this is triggering me. How do I open it? How do I let go of that issue? Let, mm -hmm. you know, let go of that moment, you know? And, and um, I, I started a new show like seven, eight weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And a lot of new people with a lot of different ways, a lot of different things, a lot of different reactions to it. People that are older than me, people that are younger than me, people that they think they are, you know, they project that they are really eat some people that are super kind mm -hmm. you know and all that creates a lot of steel and I was like into that and I was noticing every time I was noticing it's like I was kind of putting labels on things you know and and the labels I mean luckily enough I don't stick the labels too hard you know and so I can take it take it out of the next interaction because I mean otherwise it's like like the first time you see somebody and it's not saying hello at all all right the second time the third time, it's like this guy is like really not nice, and then and then it happened that the guy was just super shy, mm -hmm. you know. And, and some people are like that; they like, right. just don't say hello because they're super shy, you know. And uh, and so, you know, how do we recognize that we are labeling? Is that kind of what I see that's important? So, so what they're saying here is, you know, one of the translations: don't be seduced by that. Don't be seduced by your thoughts. That's the point, right? Do not mm. be seduced by your thoughts that are saying that, right? Then if, you don't be, if you're not seduced, you don't go with it, you don't believe it, then you stay clear. And then you stay open is the point. Hang on one second. Yes. Is that, right? Yeah. You stay open. <laughs> right? And that, that's the practice. There's But, what, but we have to make the connection. That's the point. What we're, what we're doing is making a connection between our own understanding and the way we express it to the text. Then the text is not foreign or it's not ancient. Yeah. It's alive today, right? It's relevant to our lives. Otherwise, text is like, well, that's great, but I have no idea what that means and it's nothing to do with my life, right? That's why we take the time to unpack it together. Hang on one second. I want to make sure that... Uh, is anybody on Zoom? Anybody else on Zoom? Yes, Mason, good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, I, I love this concept. I find it so cleaning, by the way. I've got some outside. You can? Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, I, I love this concept. I feel like it's quite radical in the sense that um, the spaciousness that you allow another um, by just like not um, being attached to filters, the image that you have, I think possibly this logically seems that it would give them the spaciousness to also 
like improve. Like in the example that Major gave Sally, the, like the difficult child, and she was told by her colleagues um, that you know she may disrupt the peace in the classroom, blah blah blah. Um, but it kind of allows it affords Sally that opportunity to to go beyond and come out of that uh, that kind of. Um, that sort of shell, that constricting shell that everyone has put her in, that box. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe in a wider context of the world, I mean, if it's someone like Putin, well, he's sort of demonized and seems evil, but if everyone had that less of an attachment to the image that they perceive of him, maybe that gives him the spaciousness. Which is those kinds of examples where we're so quick to categorize people on a metaphysical level, I guess this is a question, um, you know, we, we chant about how molecules interact even as they merge, that kind of thing. I might be getting that wrong. But um, on a metaphysical level, or a quantum level, do things change when we, when we don't attach to these images, these like, filters that we have of people? Right, so we change the, uh, the way we, we interact. So something changes, right? So when we expand, we give others permission to expand as well, right? When we contract in a way, we trigger contractions in others, right? So by, by accepting, for example, by accepting oneself, we allow others to accept themselves because we're not uptight about it, right? So yeah, the way we are affects the way the world is. Obviously, yes, it's a very good point, right? So that's why, that's why I think we have to recognize the responsibility that we have as human beings, right? Because we're not, because nothing exists unto itself, nothing exists in the vacuum, everything affects everything, right? It's just the way it is. So what we do, the way we are, the way we function, what we practice, naturally will affect everything and everybody. So yeah, thank you. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, and share my pixelation moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have this one uh, child, very, very difficult, very challenging. And every single day, there was an argument, argument, argument. Do this. No, I won't do this. I don't want to. I want to do this. You know, I want to fidget. I want this. I want that. You know, everything was an argument. I was like, oh, you know. And I tried my best to just recycle, you know, just like, okay, let's clear this out. All right. Let's see what we can do, right? And so I leave it open for her. But every day it would be argument, argument, argument. And last week, um, I came on <laughs> a Friday, and uh, she was, not Friday, was it Friday? It was sometime last week, and <laughs> I don't even remember anymore. Um, but she, I, I said something, to, right? I, I expected an argument. I said, do this. And then she said, apparently, and I didn't even hear it, okay, <laughs> but I didn't hear that. I said, I, or just do it, blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Like there was going to be an argument. Like there was already an argument. And she was like, I said, okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was expecting an argument. But then she kind of changed from there. You know, I was like, that's no problem. I'm like, okay. Right, sometimes we can't hear it because we, we go automatic mode and, exactly. and we want things to continue in that same direction. And then if they take a different direction, we either don't see it or we don't want it. I was pleasantly surprised. Though. Because it, again, it's, like, it's a threat. It's a threat to who we think we are. So, yeah. 
I'm going to keep going. If you have something to uh, uh, comment on, uh, write it down and get back to that. In oneness and equality, all self-boundaries dissolve. In oneness and equality, all self-boundaries dissolve. And Dan and Jordan reside in the oneness of things where distinctions are meaningless. It's actually very interesting, right, to, to see it that way. So reside in the oneness of things where distinctions are meaningless. So it's not that you have to eradicate anything, right? It's not about going against something as much as go back home. Go back, you know, so in Zazen, we reside in the oneness of things. Then there, distinctions are meaningless because everything is, everything is one. Everything is experienced as one. So distinctions are meaningless. Then we can actually, from that point on, we can make distinctions in a much more healthy way. Right? It's not saying homogenize. It's just saying see the unity, then go on to make distinctions. If you fail to see the unity, you become seduced by the distinctions and then attached, obviously, and then argue about it. So commentary, this spaciousness restores us to, the, to a serenity that is the original condition of the mind. This is nice, right? The original condition of the mind. And now the original condition doesn't mean we have to create. Again and again, we have to come back to that. We're not creating anything. We do the up, we stop creating so we can return to the original state of mind, state of being. Oneness is one of those crossover words that allow, allows us to explore both its Buddhist and Taoist contexts. For the Taoist, oneness is the Tao, which means that in the great Tao, there is no differentiation of any kind. All things find their resolution in the Tao. We are perturbed only when we are in the realms of distinctions and differentiations. Once we let go, we enter the Tao and find serenity. Oneness is not self-identity, nor is it other identity. In Buddhist usage, oneness is the suchness of all things. The suchness, tatata, is things as they are. In their present manifestation, the way they appear, and their present manifestation is dependently ari arisen, arising without any own being, without svabhava. In the representative of suchness, we can simultaneously appreciate both the absolute nature of things, empty of own being, and their provisional nature. This is an important point, right? So we're not, to not be seduced is to not create separation as well, right? So it's not that the provisional is gone. There is the provisional, but it's not a part of or outside of the essential. So you can appreciate both. So the provisional nature, in parentheses, he says, momentary appearance according to causes and conditions, which we are that, right? We are a momentary appearance according to causes and conditions. Our being, right, our physical being, is no more than a momentary appearance according to causes and conditions, right? That, I mean, you know, our parents got together and, and that's what it led to. Right? So, and that's what we are, that momentary. And thereby 
find serenity. Water is always serene in its waterness, regardless of the different kind of containers it is poured into. It does not cling to any erroneous views that one encounter, that one container is preferred over than the other. So it doesn't matter to water, to the waterness. It's a good way to say that. The waterness is not disturbed by the container it is being poured into. But we are disturbed by the conditions in which we manifest or we find ourselves in. And that's because, because we don't see or experience our own being, our own waterness as beingness. And that's that, that's that gap, right? That's what we have to bridge through zazen, through practice, through continuous, so zazen and post-zazen, continuously working with turning back home, turning back towards unity, seeing that purity of our being at all times. And when we turn to the purity, we realize again, again, the purity is not disturbed. We are disturbed. The small eye is disturbed. Fine, we get it. But purity is not intact. It remains intact, we should say. So, I'm going to take a break. You want to say something? No. Okay. Anyone? Question? Comment? Yes, thank you. Oh. Now, you're making me think of, um, maybe this is uh, due to the fact that I had to write about um, uh, a mass, mass extinctions for the uh, cosmic calendar last night, and uh, um, a lot of the creatures that sometimes survive mass extinctions are ones that have no particularly... Uh, Good strengths. They're sort of uh, they're sort of uh, generic, uh, mediocre, middle of the road creatures. And you know, thinking of humans, uh, we're not particularly strong. You know, we're not particularly fast. Um, in some ways, we're kind of uh, also a very uh, mediocre creature. But one thing we do have is adaptability, and that's been a very uh, you know, unique trait for us, but I think we forget that. I think that's one of the things I'm sort of hearing in Shinji Mei is that, you know, the way that, you know, water takes the shape of a container, you know, um, we've often been able to just adapt to whatever circumstances and find solutions, you know, being, uh, being as, a, as small as we are, you know, we build technology and so on, but it's funny how we, we forget that. We're actually trying to make a world that is very rigid and very similar which is actually against the very nature of what we are and uh, what we should maybe be looking at. So, just a thought. Uh, thank you. Yes. The uh, actually the next uh, the next line and the commentary uh, may work together with what you just said. So we'll we'll get to that. Anyone else? You want to say something? <coughs> I was going to say that. Um, the opening goes both ways. The more compassionate we are with other people, the more compassionate mm -hmm. we can be with ourselves. Right. And the more compassionate we can be with ourselves, the more compassionate we can be with other people. So sometimes sure. it sounds like, you know, be compassionate. It's almost like, I don't know, the 11th commandment. Um, you know, go out and be compassionate. But it's, um, it's reciprocal. It's mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. 
you know, the more you can be compassionate with others, the more you can be compassionate with yourself. Um, and it just happens. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, that it's, a, um, that it's something that is, is mysterious. It, the two are connected to each other, so it flows in both directions. Yeah, the, the, the trying is the problem, right? You know, so when, when uh, you have to remember that from a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Umwan was asked by a monk, how can I practice 24 hours a day? He said, give up your effort. Stop trying, right? It's the trying, which is the next line. It's the trying that creates the, the issues, right? So, and that's the, and we have to understand what it means to practice naturally, to practice at ease. We try too hard. There is effort. Obviously, there is effort. Without effort, nothing, we will not gonna, we're not going to break through anything. But it's the right effort. Right? And that brings up the question, what is right effort? So I'm going to keep going. But again, like I said before, if you have something to say, write it down, make a note. And share it with us. Trying to steal action is an action itself. Right, trying to steal the mind, right? Still trapped in duality, how can you recognize oneness? And then the, another translation, trying to steal the mind inhibits the experience of oneness. It inhibits the experience. Not that the experience is not possible, it's just that the, efforts, it's, the effort itself is, is creating that, it's creating the, 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 the veil. So we are unable to experience. For the very action of trying is the busy mind at work. So that's how the mind expresses itself. It tries. It tries and the trying itself is kind of like going around in circles. It gets nowhere. But it is exhausting while it gets nowhere. In the commentary he says, as one of the central ideas of Taoism <clears throat> means an action or inaction takes place spontaneously and naturally but it is the inaction, it is the activity or inactivity of the saint in whom all traces of self-consciousness have been washed out. In other words, there is no self, there is no svabhava, there is no separate existence. When there is a conscious effort, a conscious effort to stop an activity that we find undesirable, which, is, which happens often, we are actually engaging in a struggle to find the opposite which we think will act as an antidote to the situation. But of course, the antidote itself is a corrective that we are trying to impose on an inherently unflawed situation. Inherently, it is not wrong. But we think it's wrong, we're trying to fix it. We're trying, they're trying to create it is actually creating more suffering by itself, as he's saying here. And it ends up filling us with more chaos. We are always trying to fix things according to our own preferences, our own designations. And we're not even aware that our efforts to achieve, say, happiness is itself an erotic enterprise. So trying to become happy is creating unhappiness, right? And we never find it because what we consider happiness always remains elusive. 
because it's always within that, what we think it is, it remains within the designations we created. And then, of course, it's, it's unavailable. In the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu wrote, Thus the wise deal with things through Wu Wei and teaches through no words. So it's a non-doing doing. Wu Wei is non-doing doing. The 10,000 things flourish without interruption. They grow by themselves and no one possesses them. The Tao is constant and Wu Wei, yet nothing remains undone. In other words, everything gets done. I'm not doing anything. When I am doing, I get exhausted. I have had enough. I don't have much energy for this or any energy left in me for this. That's trying, too much trying. So it, it, what, what they're saying is that in, in the Tao, the, is constant, the Wu Wei is constant. So active all day, she does nothing, is exactly what that means. Active all day, she does nothing. Why? Because she's not there outside of the activity. When she's there outside of the activity, well, I like it, I don't like it. It's happening, it's not happening. It's working, it's not working. It's against me, it's for me. That's our entire lives, right? And that's... It's phenomenal, right? What it is offering, what it is telling us that's available. So, and it is a state of being, this state of being is akin to the equanimity, which contrary to what some may think is a state of supple readiness to respond to the need of the moment appropriately and without delay. And that's Wu Wei, or that's the action of Wu Wei. Always available, always supple ready to respond to the situation, not knowing the response ahead of time. Not knowing the response, not knowing how will I respond and not needing to know how will I respond. Because I don't need to know what I will need to respond to a minute or five minutes from now. But I need to trust that I have the potential to respond to whatever will arise. I need to trust that. If I don't trust that, I'm paralyzed and terrified. Because what if what's gonna happen is not going to meet my ideas of right and wrong. Anyway, any thoughts about that? Yeah, if you need to speak, we may not see your hand on Zoom, just unmute and go for it. Morning. Um, I have this uh, feeling of like a euphoria. And then at the same time, because I'm like, oh, I'm stepping through the door, I, I, can, I can feel that I'm grasping this. And all of a sudden, that feeling of going down the roller coaster happens because of the feeling of letting go. And um, it's interesting how fear plays a big role into opening. I mean, I, I believe a lot of us want to um, be more gracious in our, our daily lives, but I think a fear plays a big role into being gracious and more open to possibilities. Yeah. So a sense of euphoria, you said? 
So are you saying that you feel that way when you read this? Right. Yeah, so, so that sense of euphoria or that sense of elation or graciousness, right? So that, this is, this is the point of reading text. This is the point of chanting. This is the point of studying the Dharma, right? It's there to evoke what's already there in you, right? It is meant to evoke what's in you, right? Another way of being, another way of functioning. And that's why we feel this way. Because it is speaking about us. Any Dharma text, all Dharma text is always only speaking about you. But the you before you. And it's, it, that's why it feels like that. It feels like homecoming. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So the, the idea of being still trapped in the duality is very interesting, especially... Um, about what you were saying right there, uh, this time of year is really a strange time, like in the sense of consumerism and all of that, like that sense of needing more. And so, like the moments that you begin to feel comfort of, I have everything I need. Quickly, we are driven with messages of we need more. And um, I find that in a story just that happened to me the other day. So, I, <laughs> after looking in Tyru's telescope the other day, I'm like. I totally want a telescope really bad because <laughs> I want to see all these, all these things. And so I've kind of been chasing this idea of a telescope. But when I, when I think about it, um, about a year ago, I was driving down the street and there was a telescope on the side of the street. It's like trash or whatever. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to totally get this. And I put it in the back of the car and I put it up in my attic and I haven't done anything with it. It's just there. I'm going, oh, okay, I captured this thing that I'm going to use, but it's going to take work to get it to work. And it's too much work. I don't understand. And so um, I still wanted to, you know, you know, capture it. So the other day, you know, like I'm looking through all these ads of like, oh, I'm going to buy my kid a telescope for <laughs> I was like, I should just go get the one in the attic and get it out. Um, but there's something about a telescope to me that feels a lot like Zen. You know, like it doesn't have a, it has like these mirrors. It's all reflecting these things and the mirrors have to be aligned. And then you use a lens to look even deeper into it. So looking deeper into this moment of this telescope that I had just let kind of like gather dust in my attic, I was trying to aim it at the moon. I could never see the moon because I think it needs some work. It's okay. But the, the, the real moment to me was like I just looked up and saw the moon. It didn't matter. You know, like I was enjoying that night of just seeing it. And I think, you know, for me, reading these texts, um, yes, we are pursuing a lot of different things in these moments right now where we're like pushed to wanting more, sometimes just being with it, um, and also being willing to put in the work to experience those moments for whatever it is, with all the attributes that you have. So that's kind of what I was taking. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, moving. Right, it's deeply moving, and it's, uh, it's amazing what comes up. Yeah. Right? when we are exposed to this. <clears throat> so, uh, anyway, before, we yeah, before we continue to uh, open it up, I just want to go back to something here uh, that I did not read from the commentary about equanimity. 
Um, and he, he unpacks it, uh, I think, very well. Musong says, equanimity does not deny or contradict human agency, but rather provides a corrective balance to the restless self-centeredness in which we humans are taking part all time. Right, so all the time. So this is this is actually uh, shedding light on our self-centeredness. Wu Wei as non-doing is itself the highest form of doing, and non-doing is not a state of being catatonic, but rather a skillful choice, a condition of serenity in which one does one's best according to one's ability and the circumstances, but also one has the spaciousness to allow things to unfold according to their causes and conditions. One has the wisdom to accept the results of such unfolding without any struggle. The Taoist idea of Wu Wei transformed itself into the Zen idea of no mind or mushin. It's a really good uh, connection there, right? Because there, there is, a, and this, this uh, verse um, expresses it very well, right? Shows it very well. There is a very strong connection between Taoism and, and Zen. And we can see it clearly here. And what he's saying is that Wu Wei became what we know as no mind or mushin. And then he brings up uh, the famous uh, poem by Layman Peng, my daily activities are not unusual. I am just naturally in harmony with them. Grasping nothing, discarding nothing. In every place there is no hindrance, no conflict. My supernatural power and marvelous activity, drawing water, carrying firewood. In other words, whatever we do, this is why we have to see that in every moment activity, whatever we do, right? For him, it was carrying water and, and uh, drawing water, carrying firewood. For us, it's whatever we do, right? We drive the car, we take the kids to school. We cook a meal, we pay the bills, whatever we do. This, all of it, is nothing but supernatural powers and marvelous activities. Because it's unity expressing itself. Right? Unity is not something we put on hold or try to figure out. We have to realize that unity is always manifesting itself. Timelessness always manifests itself through what we call time. Those are not two things, two concepts that we have to figure out a way to merge. So that's the expansion from the small eye to the big eye. And that's the leap. So where are we at with this? for the timeless footprint, we leaned into the uh, notion of not finding distractions or relying on distractions in the mundanity of life. Um, I just think it's interesting that, you know, even though I participated in the workshop, um, I found myself after the workshop um, writing down some of the things that I do distract myself from. When I do these things that I think are boring, um, the things that are like clean, just living everyday life and, and trying to find something exciting instead of like completing these tasks. And 
was working on was clean the bathroom, clean the toilet. And, <laughs> and my dislike of doing that and finding, you know, um, ways to lean into it more. And I found myself uh, realizing, because I shared the bathroom with my, my teenage daughter, and I was like, at some point, I'm not going to pick her hair up off the floor because she will have her own bathroom. And um, it made me quite emotional um, to know that something that I do all the time uh, triggers me in such a profound way. And I'm thankful that I get to clean the bathroom after my teenage daughter at this point. And uh, <laughs> there are moments when I'm like, ah, <laughs> I regret this. <laughs> but then I go back to that feeling of, these things are all, truly all connected. And whatever prejudice that I have in my daily life, um, it's some, this sort of silly that I can look at these things and not have reverence for it. Mm -hmm. Even if it is just picking up hair off the floor, um, it's my child's hair. And at some point, I won't be able to do that. And I know, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking that's silly, but it's not silly. I mean, I can connect this with anything that I do in my life, um, how I approach people, how I solve tasks. It's all one thing. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I am reminded of that consistently. Thank you. So, so this way of, of being, right, is actually, it's a generous way of being. Right? Because if I don't differentiate between I like, I don't like, I don't like this activity and I like this activity, then I can be generous with the, be with the eternal being all the time. I can express the generosity of this being all the time, right? Because I don't differentiate, right? If, but if I fall into this categorizing of I don't like this activity or I don't like hanging out with this person, then I am practicing stinginess. Right? And then I will give when I like. Right? I'm not going to give myself. I'm going to be give I'm going to give a little bit because I don't like this situation or this I'll drag my feet, I'll get through this. But but then I practice stinginess and when I practice stinginess, that's how I feel. Stingy, contracted, small, limited, fearful. But when I realize I can always practice generosity, always always practice generosity, then, then how I feel? How do I feel? Expanded, right? I mean, it's natural. And it's possible, that's maybe more, but it's possible to practice, but it is a practice because the tendency is to be stingy or intermittent. Intermittent with how much am I giving of myself? How much am I giving into that? Why? Because the small self, is limited and there's only that much I have and I'm going to keep it for someone or something I like or for moments I enjoy. Yeah. Um, it's making me think that an important part for some of us is to keep being reminded maybe by someone like you and maybe within ourselves that what's being talked about is possible. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that we're experiencing it now or that we experience very often, mm -hmm. very often, but that it's possible. Right. And um, 
possible for us. Yes. Uh, so that um, it involves patience. Yes. And taking time and realizing that the fruition might take a long time. And also, when there will be fruition, like I'm feeling it now, mm -hmm. um, we have no idea. It'll be unexpected. It could be any moment, mm -hmm. or it could be in 10 years. Right, but what you're saying is, I'm, I am not going to be seduced by my designations. Right, so if I'm saying I'm not good at it, right, I'm not seeing it, you know, it's not for me, I am getting trapped by my own ideas and designations, right, and feelings, right, and the thoughts and feelings affirm that for me. But if I stay, if I remain open to that, it is possible, as you said, then, then I'm not going along with my, with the automatic designation. But it might be happening at the same time that what you just said, that belief, for example, belief. it's not possible for me, mm -hmm. or I'm always crabby, mm -hmm. or I hate people. Right. Um, that could be very, very strong. It is strong yes. at times. Yeah. So, and seem to be unchanging. Right. But under that, or beside that, could be this other understanding that it could be different. Yes. And that that is the reason to keep practicing. That's where, why trust is so important. That's because without practicing trust, how are we going to, you know, I'm going to trust what I think. I'm going to trust what I feel. If I don't trust the, that there is more than just what I think and feel, then that's all I'm going to go by. But it's like trust in the midst of no trust. Yes. Like two levels or both things simultaneously. So we're experiencing very little trust. Yes. But there's also an understanding and a belief in trust. Trust in mind. Mm. Right? So, so, and that's, that's why it's called that way, right? That's why the word trust is the first word, right? Because without that, we're just gonna, we're gonna trust something else. Mm. We do trust. Right? Because we go along with what we trust. We go along with likes. We trust likes and dislikes. Right? It's as simple as that. We trust. I like. I don't like. We trust our preferences. That's what we have to go beyond. And trust the big mind, the big eye. Yes? Yes? to uh, feel compassion and understanding and everything for someone outside that you are not uh, very connected with it or have a lot of history with mm -hmm. and you pick and choose and it goes, it's so easy for me to show compassion sometimes to a student that I just met and it's sometimes more difficult for me to show compassion to someone that's been in my life pushing buttons and aggravating me for a very long time, you know, and um, and yeah, we pick and choose, and I, sometimes we sit there and we create stories uh, about how this person shows up into our life and what are we gonna do the next time that they push a button 
and we sit there with the stories and it's so exhausting mm -hmm. right it's so exhausting and then you say i don't have patience or um i don't have energy or i don't have to deal with this person and the situation that's been present in my life mm -hmm. pretty much all of your life you know and then um then you sit there and then you create another story about when we we hear in situations that we need to be compassionate with everyone, not pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. And then we start feeling guilty mm -hmm. about why is it that I'm so compassionate with this, in this situation, but I can't find it in this situation. So yeah, it's, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to do what we need to be doing with our practice. And, and I guess that's why it's, we haven't reached that destination. We haven't, you know, become uh, 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 able to to uh, feel this with every situation. That's why I guess we're here because we need to practice to be compassionate with everyone, not just pick and choose the you know the situations that bring us comfort and happiness. Like it was so easy in this situation, but I'm struggling with this one. Mm -hmm. So what do I do with this one right. in the meantime, right? right? right, right. So yeah, um, I hear you, because I have the same struggles um, and trusting that um, it's there. It's that, yeah. there, it's just, we just... That's, why, that's why we call it practice, as you said, right? So that's why there is a Sangha, right? So that's why Sangha is a jewel. Because without <laughs> keeping each other together in the practice, we're going to veer off. We're going to go astray. Yeah. We go astray. It's not even going. We do go astray. But having a Sangha and coming back to that and even, you know, being on, our, by our, on ourselves, you know, doing whatever we're doing by, by ourselves, we can still think about the Sangha or being a part of a Sangha and that could be um, enough to give us some strength on the way, even being alone, knowing I'm a part of a Sangha, thinking about other Sangha members, right? It could be enough as nourishment for the way, right? And then we, we come back. Yes, we, we, we go astray, but we can come back. So we don't stop, this is why, this is why we don't stop practicing, right? It's not a matter of should I, should I not? Right? It's not a matter of preference. It's a matter of practicing, practicing life. Yeah, yeah because it's, it's kind of... Just to think that you're going to walk through life with your heart open all the time mm -hmm. and loving and throwing mm -hmm. flowers and, and, you know, to everyone. No, sometimes, you know, you have to put... I feel that sometimes you have to put a line uh, where other people cannot come into your space and and, um, and 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 push buttons, right? But you could still you could still uh, have compassion in a way where you know you have to meet them at the space that they're at also at the moment, you know. Um, and um, yeah, I think I, I I don't think it's it's this practice. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, but it's very difficult. And at the same time, it could be so simple. 
It is, it is actually, it is quite simple. It's just that we do complicate. We do create complications, that's real. It's not a judgment. We create complications automatically, often being unaware. Because, you know, so I'm just saying I like this, I don't like that, right? That's the baseline. We don't understand that that's not the baseline. That's creation. We created likes and dislikes. Because we begin the day from likes and from very solid, defined likes and dislikes. And the one who does the liking or disliking, right? That's not the baseline. That's all provisional. We have to go be beneath that, deeper than that. Then, yeah, well, yeah, there is likes and dislikes, but there is a deeper level. And that's who I am. That's why we continue, right? Okay, so to be continued, let's finish. Oh, uh, yeah, sure, sure. Yes. Okay, thanks. Hi, guys. Um, I'll be brief, <laughs> but uh, it's really heartening for me to hear about how everyone else is practicing so diligently, even while it's hard. It's just very relatable, and I appreciate hearing about those experiences. Um, I think so receiving my Dharma name, which, as you guys know, is cheerful awakening. Um, I've been noticing more about how, uh, I've been noticing more of, like, what I sound like when I'm talking with people that I'm comfortable with and, um, understanding more about who I am that way. And I've noticed that I, I've just noticed this cadence, which kind of cracks me up, but when I'm talking with other people that I like, I have this voice that's like, Thank you, and thank you for being here.
passes by and opportunity is lost. Each of us must strive.